Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Let It Go, Let It Go edition as the Bengals open the season with a 23-20 overtime loss to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, post-game comments from players and coaches, and analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Then, in this week's Fun Facts segment, you'll hear from a Bengals rookie who grew up in a town of fewer than 30 people and started on Sunday in front of more than 65,000. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. By Kettering Health, the official healthcare provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. Free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. And by Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since Bob Huggins being enshrined in the Basketball Hall of Fame. I suspect that one day in the future, hopefully the very distant future, there will be an asterisk on my tombstone. It will list the year of my passing, and then, after that asterisk, there will be a line explaining how I would have lived five years longer if not for my friendship with Coach Huggins. When Huggs was at Cincinnati, there were many late nights after games and practices spent with him, our mutual friend Chuck Mayshock, and others, where we would have a few beers, swap stories, and laugh hysterically. Huggs is truly one of the great storytellers of all time, right up there with Dave Lapham. And despite being sleep-deprived, it was a joy to be in his company. His basketball resume speaks for itself. 916 wins and counting. That's fourth most among Division I coaches, two trips to the Final Four, and hundreds of former players who speak of him with love and reverence. You won't find a more loyal friend, and I'm thrilled that he is officially Hall of Famer Bob Huggins. Now, let's get to Sunday's season opener. The Bengals addressed their biggest weakness in the offseason by signing three free agent offensive linemen. But the Bengals' first offensive play of the season resulted in a sack by five-time Pro Bowler Cameron Hayward. The Bengals' second offensive play was even worse. Burrow in the gun, Mixon to his left. Joe is ready. Ted Karras snaps it back. Burrow back to throw. Fires toward the 30 where it's intercepted. The Steelers are going to run it back for a touchdown. Joe Burrow hit... After making the throw, there's a penalty flag down in the backfield. Minka Fitzpatrick with a pick six if it stands. It did as the officials picked up the flag. Pittsburgh led 7-0 less than two and a half minutes into the game. The Bengals' second drive was much better. They marched to the Steelers' 34, but a seven-yard sack knocked them out of field goal range. Whoops, I forgot that the Bengals have a cyborg kicker with a bionic leg. Evan McPherson from 59 yards away. And here comes the rain. Clark Harris ready to snap it back. Fires it back to Huber. The ball is down. The kick is on its way. Come Distance on, is not a problem. Yeah. It is good. Holy cow. By a mile. 59 yards with ease on Money Mac's first attempt of the season. You don't have to drive very far to get points from McPherson. 
but you do have to hold on to the ball. And on the Bengals' next three drives, they didn't. Burrow back to throw, gets hit from behind, the ball comes out, and the Steelers recover. Alex Highsmith with the strip sack, and the ball floated right to teammate Cam Hayward. Burrow ready for the shotgun snap back at the 44. He has the ball. He's back to throw. Short pass. Picked picked off at the 40 by T.J. Watt. Watt jumped up, grabbed the ball, and the Steelers have their third takeaway in the first 17 minutes of the game. Burrow waits for the snap from Karras, has the ball, drops back five steps, steps up, flings it deep down the middle of the field, and it is intercepted again. Sutton runs it back and goes out of bounds around the 25-yard line. The Bengals turn the ball over on four of their first five possessions. The Steelers kicked a field goal after Joe Burrow's fumble and scored a touchdown after T.J. Watt's interception to take a 17-3 lead midway through the second quarter. With less than two minutes to go in the half, the Bengals had a fourth and one at the Pittsburgh 35 and decided to go for it instead of attempting a 53-yard field goal. Burrow takes the snap, gives it to Mixon, first up the middle of the field, racing to the 20 with an angle at the 10, 5, and taken out of bounds inside the 5 at the 3-yard line. It was first and goal with less than a minute to go in the half, but the Bengals couldn't punch it in. They settled for a chip shot field goal and trailed 17-6 at the half. In the third quarter, the Bengals finally found the end zone. Burrow standing at the seven, waiting for the shotgun snap. Mixon lined up to his right. Burrow catches the ball, drops back from the nine, throws. It is caught by Tyler Boyd. Touchdown, Bengals, as he curled toward the forward right pylon, and Burrow threw a perfect strike through a narrow window to Tyler Boyd. That two-yard pass to Tyler Boyd was followed by a two-point conversion throw to Mike Thomas who played much of the game after T. Higgins suffered a concussion in the second quarter. The Bengals were down by three, heading to the fourth. Early in the final quarter, the Bengals had to punt, and on the return, long snapper Clark Harris suffered a right bicep injury that caused him to miss the rest of the game. It turned out to be a huge loss. A Pittsburgh field goal made it 20-14 with 11 minutes to go. The Bengals promptly drove to the Steelers' 36, but on 4th and 6, rather than attempting a long field goal with 3rd string tight end Mitchell Wilcox serving as an emergency long snapper, the Bengals elected to go for it. Burrow drops back to throw. He fires, and it is intercepted. The 4th of the game for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Unbelievable. Joe Burrow intercepted four times for the first time in his NFL career. That one goes to Akello Witherspoon. Four interceptions and a lost fumble for Burrow. That probably bothered him more than the ruptured appendix. But the Bengals QB didn't flinch. Obviously, you don't want to throw four picks, but I never panicked. We stayed stayed even killed and we came back and put us in position to win. He gave them multiple chances to win. With three minutes to go, Burrow hit Jamar Chase for what looked like a touchdown pass, but he was ruled out of bounds inches from the goal line. Rather than challenge the ruling, the Bengals rushed to the line, tried a running play, and lost two yards. Here's Zach Taylor on electing not to challenge the spot. That's the hardest place for us to see um, in the entire field is is that spot. So I, I didn't think there was a chance there was a touchdown there initially. Um, so we got on the ball to, to run it in quickly. 
Um, it's hard with all the craziness, that moment, all the communication to get that, hey, stop, stop. Let's evaluate this. It, we just couldn't get it done fast enough by the time we'd seen a replay and realized, oh, shoot, he might have gotten in there. So um, just got to learn from those. You know, it's a fine line to get the ball in the end. You just want to punch it in real quick. And, and uh, in hindsight, maybe he was in and we could have given ourselves a chance. The Bengals eventually had to go for it on fourth and goal from the two. Burrow ready, catches the shotgun snap, he's back to throw, he's looking, passes into the end zone, it is incomplete, and the Steelers stop the Bengals, they had it first and goal, inside the one, they go backward and fail to score. The Steelers got the ball back with 1.51 to go, but they weren't even able to run 30 seconds off the clock before giving the ball back to Burrow and the Bengals at their own 40 with 1.27 left. Despite playing one of the worst games of his career to that point, Burrow drove the Bengals 60 yards for the tying score. The game comes down to this play. Four seconds on the clock. Cincinnati at the six-yard line of Pittsburgh. Shotgun snap to Burrow. He fires toward the end yeah! zone. Caught by Jamar Chase. Yeah! Both feet down. Yeah! Touchdown, Bengals. No time it? left on the clock. And here comes Mitchell Wilcox emergency long snapper to try to successfully fire it back to Kevin Huber for a game-winning PAT. Imagine the butterflies in Wilcox's stomach. They were probably more like pterodactyls as he took over at long snapper on a 33-yard extra point try to win the game. Mitchell Wilcox ready. Huber catches the snap, puts it down, the kick is blocked. And it flutters into the end zone. We'll go to overtime. Tied at 20. Minka Fitzpatrick blocked it. The snap from Wilcox a little bit high. Yeah. Didn't have a lot of steam that on it. That was the key. And as a result, the Steelers were able to block it. That was the key. It had it fluttered back there. And, uh, and it disrupted all the timing a little bit. And as a result, uh, they were able to come off the edge. And uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, who else? Wilcox would get another chance. On the Bengals' first drive in overtime, they marched to the Pittsburgh 11. And on third and eight, Zach Taylor called on the field goal unit. Evan McPherson had five walk-off game winners as a rookie, looking to begin his second season with another. It's a 29-yard try from the right hash. Wilcox, the emergency long snapper, is ready. Huber looking back at McPherson, turns his head, snap is high, Huber gets it down, the kick is a line drive, and it's no good. Man. Knowing that a field goal was hardly a sure thing, why didn't the Bengals run a play on third and eight from the 11? We felt the right decision was to kick it on third down in case the snap was off and Kevin could just spike it and we could try to kick it again. And uh, unfortunately, it just didn't work out for us. Huber caught the snap above his helmet and wasn't able to spin the laces. But McPherson says the miss was his fault. Yeah, at the end of the day, I just couldn't get it done. I mean, 29 yards is 29 yards. I can hit that with my left foot. So I, there's really no excuse for me to, to not make that one. It's certainly hard to fault Mitchell Wilcox. I talked to him after the game. You had to serve as the emergency long snapper. When was the last time, if ever, that you had to do that in a game? Uh, in a game, probably maybe one time in college. You know, I did it in high school and was a backup in college, but I was on the punch shield. And, um, I've always had that in my back pocket. and so. I said on the broadcast, I can't imagine how big the butterflies must have been under those circumstances. You're trying to win the game for your team, doing something that you normally don't even practice. How nerve-wracking was it? 
you know, in the moment I just was focused on snapping. And uh, unfortunately, first uh, first one was a good snap. Um, got blocked though, and then second one, shade high. You know, that's on me. I gotta give uh, Kevin a better snap. Um, but and if all Sunday anything can happen. None of them were unplayable. Uh, I know that's probably not great consolation for you, but it wasn't like you bounced it back there. You you gave Kevin Huber a chance. Yeah, I, I thought my my first one I think was was solid. It w- didn't have great uh, velocity on it, but it was uh, placed. We just gotta you know protect up front, and and then um, second one you know should have gave him a better one. How did you learn that Clark was not going to be able to snap? I just heard people yelling to go get some snaps and I didn't know what his status was and then you know I, I my heart's out to Clark you know he's had such a great great long career here and done so much for this this team and this program and you know um, but do you practice them much just in case or is I mean there's another long snapper on the team who's on the practice squad right now it probably kind of negates the amount of time you would even work on it yeah, you know, I'd say I I work on um, the punt the punt snaps a bit more than the the short ones, the, the place kicking snaps. So, um, like I said, I should have gave Kevin a better one on the second one, and that's on me. Wilcox had to snap the ball one more time, and this time it was a longer snap on a punt. With about a minute left, he snapped the ball to Kevin Huber with 13 seconds remaining on a running play clock preserving valuable time for Pittsburgh. We snapped her 13 seconds, I understand that. Trust me, it's, we would rather do something different. Um, but again, just trying to make sure the operation ran smoothly. Um, it turned out that we sacrificed some seconds just to make sure that we were all on the same page there. It proved costly. Starting at their own 20 with 56 seconds to go, Mitchell Trubisky completed two big passes to tight end Pat Fryermuth, giving Chris Boswell a chance to win it. A 53-yard try to win the game. His kick is up. It is floating toward the goalpost. It is good as the clock hits zero, and the Steelers win it in overtime, 23-20. The Bengals outgained the Steelers by 165 yards. Burrow threw for 338 and added a career-high 47 rushing yards. Jamar Chase had 10 catches for a buck 29, and Joe Mixon had 145 combined rushing and receiving yards. But a minus five turnover ratio, seven sacks allowed, and an injured long snapper ultimately killed them. Here's offensive lineman Ted Karras. You know, we did everything we could to lose, basically. Um, you know, five turnovers, you know, giving up sacks. Um, not finishing drives and still with a chance to win. I think this team showed a lot of grit and you know, we just didn't finish. We had the game in our hands what, three, four separate times. So got to finish that and close the division game out. Obviously very disappointed. Um, I think it was 104 plays. Um, if you weren't in shape, now you are. You know, it's a week one thriller that we came out on the wrong end. So, you know, we got Dallas in a week. Um, going to you know, learn from this. Obviously, there's a lot to coach off of. I thought we did a lot of good things, too. But overall, disappointed we lost. After the game, Lapp spent a couple of minutes with Zach Taylor. Coach, uh, talk about fighting adversity. Um, you know, you, you uh, 
I have the turnovers. Obviously, that, that was an issue. The self-destruction of the turnovers is the biggest story in the football game. That's really the simplest thing to boil down to, five to nothing. You know, we gave it away five times, didn't gain any. Um, had two, two poor operations on kicks, and, and that's not a recipe for winning football in this division. But with all of the, all of the, the, the tough things you went through with giving, giving the football away, they score a defensive touchdown, they get short fields, you still have a chance to win the football game. And like you mentioned, Clark Harris goes down, you're in a tough situation and miss kick, kicks that could have won a football game for you. Yeah, there's going to be positives we can take away from this game, but, but the immediate negative is that we're 0-1 and, and lost a divisional game to start it off. So that, that's the part that hurts, but these guys will rally the right way. They understand it's a long season. Um, they understand that there were plays to be made that would have won us the game. And so we know that we're going to be a good football team. We just got to rally and refocus for next week. What are some of the positives that, that come to mind right now before you actually take a look and analyze tape? Yeah, holding them to 13 points there until the last field goal on defense. You know, you just look at the total yards they had going into the final drives. I thought our defense played really well. thought there were some opportunities. We got the ball out or had our hands on the ball. We can take that away. That, those are things that we got to do better in the future. Um, and then offensively, I thought we moved the ball really well in the second half. We just didn't always finish with points. There was a uh, fourth down play. We, we didn't end up leaving seven and three points on the field there at the end. Uh, missed the field goal at the end on another drive. We were in the low red zone. So um, th- there, was, there was some positives to take away, but overall we're 1-0. Yeah, that's a, a division a division loss like you, you, you talk about uh, at home. That's a, that is a tough tough way to start. You look at last year, Dallas led the league with, in interceptions, led the league in takeaways. I mean, they're a team that thrives on that kind of thing, so got to take care of the ball security thing pretty quickly, don't you? Yeah, we'll get into them. We, we know that we've got to be plus, plus one to plus two in the turnover battle to give ourselves the best chance. To be minus five and still have a chance to win the football game, what's that say about your football team overall? we got a good team. They, they handle adversity the right way. There's no panic in these guys. They know that if they, there's still time on the clock, we got a chance to win. Um, oftentimes felt like we put ourselves in a position to do that today. We just didn't get it done. Appreciate your time, Coach. Awesome. Thank you. The Bengals were the only team in the AFC North to lose in week one. Baltimore beat the Jets 24-9, and the Browns topped the Panthers 26-24, winning the game on a 58-yard field goal by rookie Cade York with eight seconds remaining. York was the only kicker taken in this year's draft. Now, time for post-game analysis in this week's Radio Guys Recap. Lap, when you commit five turnovers and your defense does not come up with any takeaways, I imagine the winning percentage for NFL teams under those circumstances is like .0003 or something crazy. The fact that the Bengals almost pulled out this game uh, really was kind of a remarkable performance by the defense and some clutch late play by Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this football team has a lot of heart. You know, I do think that, uh, you know, they're not going to stop playing football until the final gun. They're, they're never going to concede anything. They didn't play well. Uh, they, they made mistakes. Uh, they're all correctable mistakes. Uh, they do have to correct them and move on. Joe Burrow threw it 53 times, 33 of 53, 338 yards, two touchdowns with four interceptions, and also lost a fumble. Jamar Chase, 10 catches, 129 yards, and a big touchdown. It's, but like you said, you go minus five, you're going to lose 99.9% of the time at any level of football. And particularly the, the better uh, the level of competition, the tougher it is. The fact that they went minus five and could have won it multiple times at the end of regulation and in overtime, you know, speaks to it's a good it's a, it's a good football team, but it proves in the National Football League you can't put yourself on your schedule. If you do, 
you're going to lose lose football games, and that's what happened today. I, you know, I think the better team lost the football game because they had to <laughs> they beat themselves, and the opponent beat them as well as a result. I feel badly for Mitchell Wilcox. Those are tough circumstances. The Bengals have another long snapper on the practice squad, so it's not like they have Mitchell Wilcox doing a lot of practicing just in case. He does some, but to go into the game under those circumstances, uh, as Logan Wilson put it, is a big ask. It is a big ask, and, um, you know, I think about Ted Karras. I thought, all right, what about Ted Karras? Can he snap maybe for an extra point? Uh, and if he hasn't been doing it, it's that's that's a brutally tough ask. The fact that Leach Mitchell Woodcox had been doing it during the course of practices, and he's had his reps and and all that sort of thing. To you know, Karras, if he hadn't been doing any deep snapping at all during the course of uh, training camp, uh, that's that's a monumental ask. And I remember when I did have to play center because of the knee injury to Blair Bush. Uh, it's it's a different animal. <laughs> deep snapping the football. It really is. Um, I never had to do it in a game. Fortunately, we brought, brought Bob Johnson back out of retirement to, to deep snap, uh, but it was uh, it, it, it's not an easy task, and you don't realize how valuable or solid deep snapper is until you don't have him anymore. What did you think of Burrow's performance? Obviously, the numbers aren't great. Four interceptions is a new career high. He also fumbled, as you mentioned, but down the stretch sure enough when they absolutely had to have it he takes him down the field 60 yards for what under normal circumstances would have been a game-winning touchdown you know as a as a teammate as a former lineman I look at him with nothing but admiration <laughs> because you know like he said he would he'd like to have had more time to get ready for the opener uh, he felt like he was going to be ready but in, in a perfect world he'd like to have more time plus the fact that he had an appendectomy you know as, as his appendix ruptured and they had to make sure he didn't get toxic and when he first came back he was definitely weakened you know he was he had trouble walking around without you know hitching over a little bit because of the pulling that was going on after the surgery and he lost 15 pounds and that's not easy to get yourself back and then back to play your first uh, competition is against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense it's you know it, it's remarkable uh, that he righted himself as quickly as he did. I mean, obviously his second half was was much better than his first half, and that's that's understandable. Um, but to 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 do what he did, and looking at how basically abnormal it was for him from a preparation standpoint, I, I got nothing but admiration for the guy. I, I'd I'd get in a huddle and. Go play football with that guy anytime, anywhere, against anybody. So after addressing the offensive line in the offseason, the very first snap of this season was a sack. Second snap was a second snap was a pick six. Not a great start. Did you feel like the offensive line got better as the day went along? Yeah, I, I think they did. Um, I think they did get better, but I, I know they're they're not going to be very satisfied at all with the overall performance. I'm, I'm sure they're going to be harder on themselves than anybody is. And uh, they'll study that tape as a group, individually and as a group, and, um, you know, be real <laughs> with yourself and with each other and make the necessary adjustments and improvements. And there has to be an improvement in ball security, though, before they play Dallas because Dallas led the NFL in interceptions last year and led the NFL in takeaways. That's their whole deal 
is they're opportunistic defensively, and that's their defensive coordinator's mentality. So, you know, you've you got to take care of the football. And, um, you know, because look at Pittsburgh. Basically, they won that football game because they didn't turn the ball over. I mean, they, they were not prolific offensively by any stretch of the imagination. They just did nothing wrong. <laughs> and uh, they, they basically said, defense, we're, we're relying on you. And, and eventually special teams, the third phase, won it for them. So the talk shows and TV debate shows are going to uh, focus on this debate. Did the Steelers approach in the preseason playing starters, tackling in camp, win the game against a Bengals team that did not play starters in the preseason and barely tackled in camp. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think um, the tempo of practice, physicality, and, uh, and, and you know, timing and rhythm and all that is much different than game, even in the preseason game. Because I always felt like you go through that progression of playing the preseason, that's one speed of the game. You get to the regular season, it's another. But having to go and skip that first phase of it, it was, it was a little bit more of an adjustment. Um, so, I, you know, and I know I'm old school that way. But w- one thing that, uh, that, that, that Mike Tomlin said that kind of ra- rang true to me, it's like before you, you, you box, you have to spar. So you can't box until you spar a little bit. And, you know, that, that, that kind of rings true to me a little bit. Now, if the Bengals had won the game, in any stretch, down the stretch or in overtime or whatever, it would have been, you know, less of a, you know, I guess maybe less of a question. But now, now it's a, it is, it is more of a question because they, they didn't win a football game that they were favored to win by about a touchdown. Um, so, but bottom line to me, as a, as a former lineman, I would like to see stunts and twists, full speed, with linebackers, you know, coming downhill and filling, and just, just to get. The, the, the repetition of it, the rhythm, the timing, you know, anchoring your pads and all the things that go along with it in a perfect world. But they, they, you know, all hands were on deck and they almost won the football game. I thought you did your job well as ruler of the jungle. You got everybody fired up before kickoff. For whatever reason, the Bengals, even as a Super Bowl team last year, have not been dominant at home. Five and four in the regular season last year. They did win in the playoffs, but they lose their first home game this year. That's true. And then you look at the other side of it. You know, last year, Pittsburgh only finished a half a game behind the Bengals at 9-7-1. and one. Um, You know, but they've, they're obviously a different team. Ben's not there, and Trubisky is. Uh, but they, want, they went 7-1-1 one and one in close games last year, games decided by seven points or less. And they're 1-0 this year in games decided by seven points or less. So it says something about Mike Tomlin, his coaching staff, you know, his players – their belief in their system and um that's a powerful thing i mean you you, you've been there done that and done it successfully i'm sure they they felt like you know we're just this is business as usual we're going to get this done the journey begins unfortunately with an l see if the Bengals can bounce back in dallas next week the journey begins and uh go down to face the 12 and 5 last year 12 and 5 dallas cowboys that were that reason last year, Dan, because they were plus 14. The Bengals were minus five after week one. They got a ways to go to dig out of that, you know. I mean, during the regular season last year, they finished even, zero in the turnover ratio. But in the postseason, they were plus seven. Got to get back to that. Up next, a tough road game against the Cowboys. The Bengals have an all-time record of one and six 
in Dallas. Now time for this week's Fun Facts interview, where we get to know the person under the pads. Time for some fun facts with Bengals offensive lineman Cordell Volson from Balfour, North Dakota, a small town in the middle part of the state. I am from a small town in upstate New York. We had about three and a half acres. Uh, but tell me a little bit about where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up a really rural area. Um, I grew up, grew up in the country between uh, Belfort and Drake. Um, I was about three miles east of Belfort. Um, there, you know, wasn't a whole lot there. Um, you know, I think population was was in the twenties. Um, and then I grew up five miles west of Drake, and Drake is where I went to went to high school. You know, that was that was kind of town um, growing up. You know, had a grocery store and and a convenience store and um you know some other businesses bar and stuff um so that was kind of that was kind of my hometown um you know like i said grew up really rural area um you know everyone was everyone was involved in everything um you know my parents they own and operate a excavating company um you know so ever since i was little i was i was part of that helping out and uh, it was a great way to be brought up that's for sure it sounds like your folks are quite a success story. They started that business that you referred to. They built it up into a, a nice family business. What did you learn about work ethic from them? Exactly what you said. Uh, you know, they started off, um, you know, just just them two, and uh, you know, built into something that uh, you know does does really well. Um, very fortunate to have been brought up that way. Just you know, learning how to work, and uh, you know, if you set your mind to something that that uh, you know you can accomplish it and and uh, you know I think one of the biggest things is you know you don't stop until the work is done. My dad was an upholsterer. I worked for him. The worst job was removing car seats from cars which stunk. What was the worst thing that you had to do when you worked for your dad? Oh you know probably the worst thing that you know the thing that people would think would be the worst is you know repairing sewers um, you know because you know you're you're down in there uh, you know whether they're they're jammed up or you know broken pipes or septic tanks collapse whatever it is um, you know so you're down there and not quite the best work environment we'll say um, but uh, yeah I mean it definitely definitely builds character and it makes you learn how to uh, work efficiently because you don't want to be in that in that for very long so you you know you plan ahead and you and you know how to how to do it quickly so you can get out of that uh, condition quickly the first time we met after the draft i shook your hand and you nearly broke mine Uh, i think it's one of the two most firm handshakes that a bengals player has given me over the years kevin zeitler would be the other in case you're interested but uh, where did that come from i think you can tell tell a lot about a man by their handshake um you know it's I think if you got a firm, firm handshake, that uh, you know your word's good. Um, so, just um, I think that was that's a big part of you know making a good first impression. I'm intrigued by the fact that you played nine-man football in high school. You're from a small school; it didn't have a ton of players to try out for the football team. What's nine-man football like? Is the field smaller? What positions are removed? In North Dakota, the field's the same. Um, you know, it's 53 and a third, and uh, you know, 100. 100 yards um but um offensively you get rid of your two tackles um you know at times there'll be you know some teams will have you know bigger tight ends that will virtually be a tackle um but a lot of it just depends on how you want to how you want to scheme things up um and then uh, defensively you know we uh 
we didn't we got rid of we only played with one safety and we only played with one corner um you know so just depends on how you want to you know scheme things up that way um but uh, at the end of the day it was it was playing football you know and that's the most important thing sounds like a fun brand of football i guess it goes without saying that you play on offense and defense you also kicked and, and punted did you kick field goals we did uh, a few times um you know i was our our place kicker when we did kick um you know it was more of you know, nine men a lot. A lot more teams go for two just because of the less players and and uh, you know more space. Um, you know, so to get two yards, um, you know, should be should be um, pretty easy. But um, yeah, so once in a while we would kick some, but um, you know, for the most part, not too much. We're doing fun facts with Cordell Volson. You attended North Dakota State, where your older brother went and had a great college career as well. There's no major professional sports team in North Dakota. Is North Dakota State kind of the equivalent? Yeah, North Dakota State is, um, you know, what everyone in the state watches, um, you know, what you grow up wanting to be a part of. Um, and, and it's just uh, it's a great uh, university to have in our state, um, you know, the winning and um you know, that all speaks for itself, but just the type of, you know, support that uh, North Dakota State gets from the state itself and the communities surrounding um, Fargo. But, uh, you know, the things that North Dakota State does and gives back to, you know, the state and the community as well. You were there for six years. You played in 65 games. I don't know what the record is for a college football player for games played. That might be up there, but it's a school record. If you could have stayed for a seventh year, would you have? <laughs> I I mean I love my time there. It was um it was great. Um you know, I think that um it's I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at. Um you know, if this opportunity wouldn't have been presented to me, definitely. Um but um you know, for me it was I was excited for the next chapter of my life as well. The Bengals selected you in the 4th round with the 136th pick in this year's draft. Where were you when you got the call? And describe that feeling. We had a little little gathering in our shop, uh, my parents' shop. Um, you know, so sitting there. Um, actually, when when Coach Taylor called, I was playing playing catch with my with my little cousin. Um, so the call came in, and it was you know it was a dream come true. You know, everyone everyone their whole life grows up wanting to wanting to get that phone call someday. So when it came in, uh, I was extremely excited and very fortunate to have people that meant a lot to me there with me. Where do you get your size? <laughs> I get asked that a lot. Um, you know, both both my parents, um, you know, they have uh, a lot of relatives that are that are bigger, um, you know, like, um, you know, 6'6". Six, six, um, there's a couple that on both sides that are that tall. Um, but, um, you know, I think just fortunate. Um, you know, where it came from, I'm, I couldn't exactly tell you, but um, very fortunate to have received it. All right, a few wild card topics for Bengals rookie Cordell Volson. Fargo is the home of North Dakota State. Fargo is a movie, nominated for seven Academy Awards. Were you amused by the accents in Fargo, or were you offended that they seem to, to poke fun at the way folks speak? I'll tell you the truth, I've never seen it. Yeah, I've never seen it. <laughs> I'm surprised it's a great movie, but I guess, I mean, you're much, obviously, much younger than I am. That has been out for a while. Yeah, yeah. Coach Pollock always tells me that I need to watch it. Um, I guess haven't quite gotten around to it yet, but, um, you know, hopefully I can get to it this off season and uh, see what I think about it. All right. Do you have any hidden talents? 
No. <laughs> we had to do the talent show, um, you know, the rookie talent show, and it took me a long time to think of something to do, and it wasn't very talented, I'll tell you that. <laughs> do you want to share what you did? I just did a little singing. Um, it wasn't good. It was more of a more of a parody. It was, it was trying to be funny. What are you terrible at? There's a lot of things. Um, I'm not very good with technology, to be honest. Um, so that's something that I need to improve on, especially in, in today's uh, world. But, um, yeah, I guess there's nothing that really jumps out to me um, when I know there are things. But, um, yeah, technology is the one thing that, you know, I'd definitely like to improve on. You made an appearance on my broadcast partner Dave Lapham's podcast. It was very entertaining. One of the things you told Lap was that you try to read at least part of a book every day, 10 to 15 minutes. What kind of books do you enjoy reading? Yeah, I read a lot of a lot of self-help stuff, um, you know, a lot of... Uh, I don't want to say like motivation stuff, but just kind of mental, how to, how to, you know, be in a good mental place and, and, you know, how to achieve the goals that you have. Um, so yeah, right now I'm reading, uh, can't hurt me by David Goggins. Um, you know, I just, just books similar to that. Um, just, uh, you know, try to better myself. And it sounds like the bookmark you use when you are reading has personal meaning as well. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, write down the goals that I have. That way, you know, every day when I when I open the book up, it uh, it's just a reminder, um, you know, why I do what I do and, um, you know, to continue to pursue those things. Final fun fact for Cordell Volson. This is kind of deep. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, entertainer, statesman, religious figure, whoever that person might be, who would it be? You know, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, I'd really like to meet my my dad's dad. Um, you know, fortunately, never got the opportunity to meet him. Um, you know, a lot of people say that him and uh, you know my dad were very similar, and then a lot of people say that uh, my dad and I are very similar. Um, you know, so so I think it would be cool to kind of kind of learn where it all came from. Great answer. Appreciate your time. Best of luck this season. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast presented by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. By Kettering Health, the official healthcare provider of the Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. Free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. And by Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.